So I've just been amazed reading through these three prophets and seeing how many references there are to Jesus, how many modern day fulfillments there are to scripture, and just to see the hand of God at work and how his word presents a constant, consistent message. So first of all, I was struck by the words on page 11. It's chapter 5, verses 21 to 24 of Amos. Amos chapter 5, verses 21 to 24, page 11 in your Immersed Bible. The primary role of the prophets were to speak about the transgressions of God's people and confront them with what they were doing that was breaking covenant with God or causing them to worship God not from their hearts and not with true worship. And I read these verses and I wondered, how often does God see us this way? I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious feasts and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings or grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Do those words sober you? I found them to be deeply affecting. I wonder how many times God listens to our praise and covers his ears. I can't stand it. It's just nothing but a bunch of noise to me. How much of what we consider to be worship when we come together before the Lord, it has absolutely no meaning to him, and even worse, he's offended by it. Notice what he says in these verses. He is not interested in the worship that people are bringing him. Not even interested in the sacrifices he said that they were supposed to offer. What I want to see is not something that you bring me in worship. It's something that you do in relationship with other people. I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. God is not nearly impressed by our worship, as we might think. He is looking for how we relate to one another and the righteousness and the justice that characterizes our lives and our relationships. Turn over with me to Hosea, page 24 in your Immersed Bibles. It's Hosea chapter 3 verses 4 to 5. Page 24, chapter 3, verses 4 to 5. God speaks through Hosea, and after he bought his wife back from slavery, he was given the understanding of what this meant. Chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. 
This shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or prince and without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. But afterward, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendant, their king. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and his goodness. Now, this prophecy was spoken while the kingdom of Israel was still in place and long before the Babylonians would conquer the southern kingdom of Judah. Hosea's prophecy, remember, was not to the southern kingdom, but to the northern kingdom. And remember that the northern kingdom was destroyed by Assyria, and it was never restored. And so this prophecy really doesn't even apply to the northern kingdom as much as it might apply to the southern kingdom, which Hosea did not speak to. But we can look at this prophecy and we can see a partial fulfillment in the southern kingdom. When they were deported by the Babylonians, and for all that time, they had neither king nor prince, no sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. But then we remember that after 70 years, God restored them. Afterward, the people will return. And remember, under Ezra's leadership and Nehemiah's leadership, they devoted themselves to the Lord. But then this passage does not find any further fulfillment at that time. Notice how it speaks to Jesus and speaks to the future. But afterwards, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendant, their king. And who is the ultimate descendant of David? The ultimate king, our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Notice how this speaks to the millennium. Isn't this a beautiful picture? In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and his goodness. And you and I will be part of that experience. Well, I pointed that out because it obviously has a very distant fulfillment. When Israel will recognize Jesus, David's ultimate descendant, as their true Messiah, and the covenant implications that God spoke to David in Psalm 89, one of your descendants who will sit upon your throne forever, it will have its ultimate fulfillment. Well, that was kind of a seminal passage for me because it spoke to Jesus, and yet it spoke about Israel and spoke about its fulfillment. I want to point out another verse of Scripture on page 32. It's chapter 9 of Hosea and verse 8. Page 32 in your Immersed Bibles, Hosea chapter 9 and verse 8. Look at how this verse so clearly applies to Jesus. The prophet is a watchman over Israel for my God. 
Yet traps are laid for him wherever he goes. He faces hostility even in the house of God. Remember that Moses prophesied that a prophet like him, but one greater than him, the Lord would send. And appointed towards Jesus, he was the ultimate prophet like Moses. And the writer to Hebrews speaks about Jesus and Moses. Moses was a faithful servant, but Jesus was greater greater in his faithfulness, and greater in his service. And so Jesus is the ultimate watchman over Israel for my God. Yet think, think of what those two next two lines are saying. Traps were laid for Jesus wherever he went. How often do we find in Scripture, and they said this to test him, and they sent so-and-so to lay a trap for him, I wrote down five references here. Faced opposition in the house of God. This was the lot of Jesus. Think about Hosea. Did he know what he was saying as he wrote this prophecy? 700 years before Jesus would come and would fulfill these words. Well, over in Micah chapter 5. We have the prophecy that we are very familiar with concerning Jesus and his birth. You Bethlehem Ephratah, though you're small out of you. And remember that the scribes and the teachers of the law in the day of Jesus knew where the Messiah was to be born. And yet, as we noted in our study earlier this year, they didn't even bother to seek out to investigate when the Magi arrived with their inquiry. Where is he who was born King of the Jews? They had the truth, but the truth was irrelevant to them. But did you notice what is spoken later on? So just a few verses later in chapter 5, now, God has spoken earlier that his people would be homeless and wander throughout the nations. But then we come to this prophecy in chapter 5, and I'm looking for the specific verse for you. Verse 7, the remnant left in Israel would take their place among the nations. They will be like the dew sent by the Lord or like the rain falling on the grass, which no one can hold back and no one can restrain. The remnant left in Israel would take their, will take their place among the nations. It said for the second time. They will be like a lion among the animals of the forest, like a strong young lion among flocks of sheep and goats, pouncing and tearing as they go with no rescuer in sight. The people of Israel will stand up to their foes, and all their enemies will be wiped out. When was this fulfilled? When did Israel take their place among the nations after they had been destroyed? 1948. 
There was no nation of Israel from the time of Christ, the time of the apostles, when the city was destroyed, it ceased to exist as a nation until 1948, when Israel was declared a nation by the United Nations. And this prophecy was fulfilled. And twice it's emphasized, Israel will take her place among the nations. I remember I was 10 years old, and we were starting to see a revival at the church my dad pastored in Cross, West Virginia. When my dad went there, the church was split. People on one side of the church did not talk to people on the other side of the church, even if they met at the door on the way out. And I remember my dad fasting and praying, and God sent for years, and God sent revival. The Spirit of God began to move, and people began to confess the hardness of their hearts, their bitterness towards one another. Spontaneously, people were getting healed in the pews during the service. Backsliders were getting saved. And one of the things that brought people back to the Lord during that time was the Seven-Day War. 1967, the Arab nations attacked Israel. One nation against Syria, Jordan, Egypt. Overwhelming odds. But in six days... The war was over. But I remember during that time, backsliders calling my dad and saying, is this part of the last days? I need to get right with God. And then in 1973 on Yom Kippur, the same thing happened again. While the Jews were celebrating the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the Arab nations attacked Israel, again, without warning. And when Israel began to respond, when they recovered from the surprise attack, dozens of the Arab League planes were shot down, tanks destroyed, Divisions of soldiers routed. And you see the fulfillment. I read these words and I thought, wow. The people of Israel will stand up to their foes. They will be like a lion among the animals of the forest. Like a strong lion among flocks of sheep and goats. And I don't know how many of you remember reading and following the Six-Day War in 1967 and then the war in 1973. We didn't have television in either of those times. But I remember my dad following it on the radio and listening to the reports. It was a big deal in our home because this was prophecy being fulfilled. And you and I are reading about it right in the margin of your notes there where it says the people of Israel will stand up to their foes. 
1967 and 1973, those words were fulfilled. They will be fulfilled even more. But we have proof of God's word there. One last passage and we'll pray. I don't get to redo my sermons on Sunday morning. I should have ended my sermon on Sunday morning with this passage of scripture right at the very end of Micah. Beginning with verse 18. Oh, these words could not be more wonderful for you and I to read and to absorb. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and overthrow them into the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors Abraham and Jacob long ago. Aren't those such beautiful verses? God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. He died for our justification. I'll get rid of your sins. They won't be found anymore. Hallelujah. What can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord? You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love. As you promised long ago. Hallelujah. Aren't those wonderful, wonderful passages of Scripture? Well, there are a hundred wonderful things to read. Some of those things are wonderful because they show the prophetic nature of God, that God never speaks just to speak. His word will always be fulfilled. Some of it's wonderful because it shows the depth of God's saving nature. We're going to hear him speaking through Isaiah. I am the Savior, and there is none other. I am the Redeemer. There is no one but me. The desire of God to reconcile us despite the depth of our sinfulness is so clearly seen. The plans that God has for us all you read these, boy, when we get to Isaiah, God's really going to light us up, making us long for the millennial reign of Jesus Christ and all the glory that will be revealed when Jesus is the King of Kings and he is ruling with his righteousness and his justice. These prophets are giving us a glimpse of what's to come. It is glorious. It is wonderful. As the Apostle Paul said, again, quoting from the prophets, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the imagination of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Hallelujah. So may we ever be seeking the Lord. Amen.